But today, this morning, we're going to be talking about marriage. Marriage is a wonderful institution. It was given uh, to us by God to provide a partner in life. Uh, we are also given a partner to celebrate the joys that we have in life, but also uh, to provide support during the difficult times. Uh, marriage is also the foundation for the family unit and for bringing children into this world. So to learn more about this subject, we're actually going to be studying Ephesians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 5. If you have your phone or your tablet, that's fine too. And if you don't have a Bible, it's no problem. All the verses are going to be on the screen right behind my head. <clears throat> now in doing so, what we're going to do today, uh, we're going to learn what Paul wants us to know about the partnership between husband and wife and how it relates to the church of Jesus Christ. And it's important to understand this because one of the underlying points that we're going to see from Paul is you can't separate the husband and wife relationship from God's plan for this world. To truly have a fulfilling marriage means you have God part of your marriage. He's the foundation for your marriage. And then you both follow his plan for your life. Just like God created this earth, God created man and woman. He also created marriage, and he had a plan for marriage within his larger plan for the world. So let's jump into Ephesians chapter 5, and let's start off at verse 22. So we're going to read verses 22 to 24. <clears throat> this is what it says. Wives, submit, to your submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also the wives submit to their husbands and everything. Now to truly understand what this verse and what Paul uh, means, we need to understand what submit is, what he's talking about. And one of the things, one of the ways that I really like to do that is see how the, you, how the uh, word submit is used in other parts of the Bible. Who submitted? Why did they submit? What was the nature of it? And that'll help us glean a little more information on what godly submission looks like. And the first case we're going to look at actually comes from Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. It's where Jesus actually calls the disciples. He just said, come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. So when Jesus called the disciples, he did this for a couple reasons. First, he called them not to be his personal servant, his butler, or you know, just to be at his beck and call. He called them to follow him, to submit to him, to join in this higher purpose that he had for this earth. He called them because he saw something in each of them that was valuable to his purpose on earth. There has said that they, they could things they contribute. Each one had gifts, and each one would go on to do great things for God's plan on this earth. So the disciples did submit to Jesus, not as underlings or second-class citizens, but as true disciples, part of the calling that Jesus had for this earth. Now, to get a further idea of what submitting looks like, we can actually look directly at Jesus himself. In Matthew 26, uh, verse 39, it tells us this. Going a little farther, he felt with his face to the ground, and he prayed. And this is talking about Jesus. He said, my father, if it's possible, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but what? But as you will. So in this case, we see Jesus, he's asking the father in heaven a question, a very serious question. And we can tell by the words he used, he's going through something extremely difficult. And basically, in layman's terms, he's asking the father if there's any other way to do this. If there's any other way, meaning, listen, God, Father, you know what I'm asking. It's a tall order, but this isn't about my will. I believe your will is the best. If there's any other way to do that, let's do that. But if not, your will is my will. Notice Jesus isn't asking to change the end point or the goal, but rather just the way to get there, if possible. 
But this is what godly submission looks like. Jesus is submitting to the will of the Father. It means committing yourself to the same goal, right? Which in this case is God's plan for the earth through Jesus Christ. So let's jump back into Ephesians chapter 5 and looks, let's look at what Paul's talking about when he talks about submission in marriage. Now first off, like we talked about with the disciples and Jesus himself, to submit is not to control someone else. Submission is not about getting the other person to bend to my will, to do what I want, right? Paul specifically said wives should submit to their husbands as you do to the Lord. Those five words are everything, as you do to the Lord. It's when we don't understand those words and their meaning, we can begin to misuse this verse, or this verse can cause a lot of fear or anxiety. So let's focus on the word submit. Let's focus right in on that. And also the words, as you do to the Lord. And I think you're going to see clearly that what Paul meant here is good, it's wholesome. Right? So let me ask you a question. Let's start off. Let's, let's turn everything back to you guys. Right? Would you say the disciples willingly, without reservation, followed Jesus Christ? It's not a tough question. It's either yes or no. Did they follow Jesus? Yes, they did. So did they submit to him and what he thought was best for this earth? Yes, they did. Now, let me ask you a question. And you can answer this if you want. If you don't, have you personally made the decision to follow Jesus Christ? Yes. So would you say that you have submitted to his plan for your life as well? That's right. Yeah. All right. Now, here's the other question. This is an interesting one. Why? did you and the disciples make that same decision? And I'm going I'm to tell you why, right? <laughs> I know. Essentially, it all comes down to you believe he's the Messiah. You believe he has a calling for this world, for you. He knows you and he wants you to follow him. And what he wants for you is good. He loves you. He cares about you. He wants to save you, right? So that's what we're submitting to, right? And that's really what this is about. So my point is, when Paul talks about wives submitting to their husbands, he means first that husbands need to be leading in the path of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, what are they submitting to? This is not about submitting to every whim of the, the husband. This is about following Jesus Christ, and the husbands need to lead in that direction. And that's what we would all submit to. The responsibility first falls on the husband. Notice there's no requi requirement to follow the husband blindly, even into a sinful life. That's absolutely not what this is about. Rather, husbands should be a good example of discipleship, they, and they should love their wives the way Jesus loved the church. And we're going to talk about that concept more in just a little bit. So when husbands model the path of Jesus Christ, the path of discipleships, wives should submit to their husbands in that way. And they should do that the exact same way we have all submitted to Jesus, the way the disciples submitted to Jesus. Notice this has nothing to do with gaining control over another person or getting your wives to do whatever you want. Is not it. My wife was here for their service, so. <laughs> Husbands should lead the way of, in the way of Jesus Christ. We're all to follow in that path, right? And in the marriage unit, husbands are, have that responsibility, right? So you should submit in that way. Now, verse 23 also helps us give some more important information to help us fully understand. In verse 23, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body. So men and women, we are part of the same body. Christ is the head of that body, and we belong to that body. We are part of it, all right? This doesn't mean, this doesn't suggest that women are inferior, actually quite the opposite. And to prove my point, we only need to look at further scripture. And in fact, let's go all the way back to the beginning when God created 
man and woman, you're going to see what I mean. Genesis 2, verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper for him. And the word helper is everything. The, word, the Hebrew word for helper is etzer, and what it really means is ideal partner. Ideal partner. It does not mean servant. It does not mean underling. Now, there's also that same word etzer is used another, a few other times in the Old Testament. And one time in particular, it's in Psalm 115, and it's used to describe God as our helper. Same word, same meaning. Let's look at that. Psalm 115, 9 to 11. All you Israelites trust in the Lord. He is their help, the etzer and shield. House of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help, etzer and shield. You who fear him, trust in the Lord. He is their help, etzer and shield. Now notice the way the word help is used there. It doesn't indicate, doesn't suggest that God is inferior in any way. Quite the opposite. God is our help. He's our true help, our etzer in time of need. That's why we call on him. And when God created woman, he did so because man needed a true helper, an ideal partner. Now here's another way, to, a cool way to think of this word submission. The word submit comes from submission, which is mission and sub, submission, right? So the mission is that we have salvation through Jesus Christ, and we are part of that mission. And that's really what this refers to. So the wife submits to that mission through her husband, who's already leading in that direction. Again, this is always focused on Jesus Christ. And lastly, the Bible says that submission uh, for their wife is to their own husbands. This is not a general command for women to submit to all men in everyday life. That is absolutely not what this is about. There is no command in the Bible for women to submit to all men in politics, education, or race car driving. Do not. <laughs> Paul is simply talking about the family unit that is intend to, intended to follow in the path of Jesus Christ. Okay, let's continue on. Let's read verses 25 and 27 from Ephesians 5. It says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present to her, and pre and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Now, to really get a good understanding of Paul's meaning here, we need to understand how he's using the word love. In Greek, that's what he was writing through. Greek, the word love has several different meanings. One is passionate love, one's brotherly love, family love. Um, there's also one called agape love, if you've ever heard that term before. Agape love, which is what Paul's referring to, is sacrificial love. It's complete. It's patient. It's understanding. It's, it's a kind of love that you give without expecting anything in return. It's the love that you give without considering whether the other person deserves it or not. This is the type of love that Jesus Christ had for us when he died on the cross. It's agape love. And men are called to agape their love their wives first. That's the key. Before we talk about submission or anything else, or whether or not a wife should submit, we first talk about where the husband is showing true agape love to his wife. If the, if the husband is the head of the household, he is called to follow in Jesus' footsteps. He should lead in that way, showing agape-type love as Jesus did. And then the family unit follows along that same path. So like we read in verses 25 to 27, husbands should love their wives as Jesus loved the church. And that's, 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 a, that's a tall order. That's a big thing. When the man loves and leads the same way that Paul describes, again, the husband makes her and the family unit holy. Paul actually describes, he says, she becomes without stain, wrinkle, or blemish, holy and blameless. Now to be very specific, what makes her that way? Is it the husband? 
No, it's actually true faith in Jesus Christ. When the husband, when the wife, the family unit believe in Jesus Christ, their sins are washed away. The Holy Spirit comes to live within them. That's what makes them holy and blameless. The husband is simply to lead in the way of Jesus Christ. Now, another aspect of this love, and this is very important, we also need to address, is knowing your partner. To truly be able to love your spouse the way God intended, you need to get to know them as a person, how they feel loved. This is true for both husbands and wives. If you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to see that Jesus actually spent a lot of time with the disciples. They talked constantly. They asked lots of questions. Jesus got to know them personally. He understood their weaknesses, their strengths. He really, truly know them. This is very much not, this is how I'm going to love you. You adjust to that. This is what you have to choose, and this is how I'm going to do it. That's not what this type of love is about. Rather, this is about getting to know your partner and loving them for who they are. Right, knowing how they best feel loved. Right, and I've I've done marriage counseling for couples, and there's couples I've come across that are very in tune to each other. They know what they if there's certain things they do really make their spouse feel loved. Big things, small things, all things in between. There's other couples I've encountered that really struggle in that area. They've never actually sat down and had that conversation, or they're just this is all I'm willing to do. You have to adjust to what I'm willing to do kind of a thing. And that's not really what it's supposed to be about. For example, gentlemen, giving your, your wife, your spouse flowers may be a good thing, right? But it may not be how your wife feels truly loved. There's a lot of different ways that can be. Maybe allowing her to feel loved is spending time with her every day, hearing about her day. It may be non-sexual physical touch meaning hugs, holding hands, physical closeness that doesn't lead to sex. could be other things. In truth, it could be all over the place. It'll vary between person, and it will vary at different points in your marriage. What your wife needed when she was 25 may not be what she needs when she's 65. And the point is to, to, to truly provide for her, to love her in the way that she needs to be loved, we need to ask. You need to know, and you need to be connected. It doesn't matter how long you've been married. To truly be connected, you need to communicate with each other. So, man, I'm going to give you an assignment. Are you ready? <laughs> we women are enjoying this too, aren't you? When you get home after church, this is what, and I'm not asking you to do something I haven't done myself. When you get home today, sit down with your wife and ask her how she feels loved. Ask her what you can do to make her feel loved, truly loved. Big things, small things, things in between. It doesn't matter if you've been married for one year or 50 or if you're considering getting married. You should do this. And here's another great question. It's something you should ask periodically throughout your marriage. And again, this is something that I have done. Men, you need to ask your wives how you could be a better husband to them. Just ask. And this is probably the most important part. Men, when you ask those questions, your job, your only job is to listen. You're not allowed to make suggestions, corrections, <laughs> or say, this is what I'm willing to do, you pick from this. Not at all. Now, next, ladies, nod your heads, tell me if this would be true. If your husband sat down with you and genuinely asked those questions from the heart and meant it, would that not be an act of love and of itself? Absolutely. 
So simply by asking those questions, being involved in that process is a way you can show your wife that you truly love her, that you're focused on her. And as the husband, gentleman, that's how you are called to love your wife, to truly love her. And to do a good job means you need to know how she feels loved. And women, I'm gonna, ladies, I'm going to give you a job. When your husband is done asking those questions and shared how you feel loved, I want you to ask him the exact same questions. Ask him, how does he best feel loved? What do you do that helps him feel loved? The big things, the small things, everything in between. And then ask him how you could be a better wife to him. And just like with him, here's the rule. You're not allowed to make suggestions, corrections, or say this is, the, this is the, the box you're allowed to pull from. This is what you get. Just listen. Don't interrupt. Don't try to influence the answer. Try to really hear each other. Knowing each other deeply, intimately, is what's going to make your marriage successful and such a blessing. Now let's move on to verses 28 and 30. Let's continue. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. So again, we see Paul talking about how men need to love their wives. And this is obviously very important. There's three reasons Paul focuses so much on this. Number one, marriage, uh, men should love their wives because that's what marriage is. It's actually it's an act of love. It was given to us by God to share this life together and to provide a solid foundation for the raising of children. Love binds us together. And if men are the spiritual head of the household, they should lead by showing unconditional love. Now, Paul also gives us a really, really good example, a good definition of what love is. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You've probably heard it before. People read this a lot in weddings. But it's remarkable. It's wonderful. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This is the type of love that the Christian marriage should have a foundation on. This is not the type of love that's common in our world today, or even back then, like what you see in movies. This type of love is deep. It's all the way through. It's committed. This type of love celebrates during the good times and provides a good foundation for support during difficult times. And they happen. As we read, it's patient, it's understanding, it's more complete, more wholesome than the world knows. This is the type of love that God had for us when he created the world. This is the type of love that God had for us when he gave us the Ten Commandments, when he wanted to help us be better people. This is the type of love that Jesus had for us when he died on the cross for each one of us. And this is the foundation. This is the type of love that Christian marriage should be based on. Now, here's also something that you can do later today. One more assignment, okay? That's it, no more. This is still up here good, 1 Corinthians 13. This is, note this verse, and this is good for both husband and wife to do. Later on, I want you to read, reread this verse, but instead of using the word love, I want you to place your first name in there for love every time. So, for example... My name is Ryan. Ryan is patient. Ryan is kind. 
Ryan does not envy. Ryan does not boast. Ryan is not proud. This is a really, really good exercise to remind yourself, to make it personal, the kind of love God wants us to show others. Makes it personal, attaches accountability. There's sometimes people read these verses and they go, oh, those are those are so nice. That's nice. Like they're in a, like they're in a museum looking at a picture that, or a painting. This is, not, this is personal for you. This is accountability. This is the measuring stick for the way we should love. The second reason Paul focuses so much on men loving their wives is husbands should love their wives because marriage is patterned off Jesus' relationship with the church. Jesus loved the church. He gave his life for the church. The purpose of the church is to share God's love with all people. For example, think of uh, the story of the Good Samaritan, the story that Jesus told. It's a great act of love. There's a gentleman who got beat up, was injured on this, laying on the side of the street, and several people saw him and just walked by. Did not show love at all. But the Samaritan, the person who would normally consider that person an enemy, stopped. He helped that person, picked him up, put him on his horse, took him to an inn, paid for everything to help him. That is showing love. Another great example, the story of the prodigal son, where one son gets his inheritance early, runs off, spends it all, blows it all, and then when he has nothing left, he comes back. What kind of love does the father show him? Unconditional agape love. He kept no record of wrongs. He loved him. He just wanted him back. Now, the third and final reason husbands should love their wives is because in marriage, the two people become one. You're no longer two, but you're one. Remember in the creation story, God created man. He placed him in the Garden of Eden. His job was to tend to the garden, to take care of it. But very little time goes by before God realizes he needs a helper, an ideal partner someone to share life with together, to produce life. So the purpose of marriage, even from the beginning, was about unity, being one body. This is the reason we're to love each other the way God intends. Now, I also want to mention something here that I've personally experienced when I've talked with men, and it, it should be addressed. Um, in, in talking with men, I've come across this idea that some men will proudly say, I love my wife, I will take a bullet for her. Right? Have you guys kind of heard that before, that sentiment? And I suppose that's fine to a degree, but I have, not yet, I have not yet encountered one marriage that has failed because the man refused to say, I'll take a bullet for my wife. I have, I have seen marriages fail because the man refused to go to marriage counseling to improve the relationship. So there's unfortunately this idea that marriage counseling is unmanly to some degree, and that is sad, that is false. Making the statement, I'll take a bullet, actually just that statement takes no effort doesn't resolve any problems that lead to divorce. But gentlemen, admitting that you could do better, being a better husband, show more love, be more forgiving, more patient, does take work, even for myself. But that's how we are called to love. We're to be patient, kind, keep no record of wrongs, not be easily angered. True love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And if you've been married for a period of time, you'll know that takes work sometimes. Amen? That's honest. It's true. But to focus on those things, to really try, is an act of love. It's the effort. Remember, gentlemen, we are called to love our wives the way Jesus loved the church. That is a high bar. That is not the scenario where you say, well, this is what I'm willing to do. Everyone else just adjusts to this. We are called to love the way Jesus loved the church. That's our calling, and we need to do that first. 
Let's continue in uh, Ephesians 5. Let's read verses 31 to 32. It says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So when I read this, there's an interesting question that comes up. He's talking about a mystery. What does he mean a mystery? And why is this a mystery? What Paul's referring to is this misconception that marriage is just an agreement, sometimes an agreement for now, right? When things get difficult, you just split, get divorced, you try over with somebody else. And one of the things I like to do in premarital counseling when I'm talking with a couple that's going to be married is we actually read through the wedding vows. We go through them in detail. So each person truly understands what they're committing themselves to. So for instance, when I say for richer, what? For poor. See, the richer part's easy. If you've been married a while and everyone's through financial difficulty, for poor is harder, right? Significantly harder. In sickness and in health. When your partner's sick, like really sick. Or sometimes when you have the kids, the house is a mess. Work is taking a lot out of you. You haven't had time to be together as a couple. Things are just really stressful. That's what happens in a marriage sometimes. And Paul, what he's saying is we can try to resist this permanence that God has for marriage. We can try to create a new de definition. We can try to just ignore it and do things the way we want or just say, well, this is all I'm willing to do. You adjust to that. We can do that, but it doesn't change the fact that God created marriage and he created the definition for love in that marriage. So another way to describe this mystery that Paul is talking about, when people fail to understand marriage, when they don't see that marriage between man and wife is just simply a mirror image of Jesus Christ and his relationship with the church. Right? And interestingly, just like in Christianity, when we're called out of our old lives to leave our old ways and start a new life in Jesus Christ, when we start a Christian marriage, we leave our old lives behind. And we're now joined together as one. We're called to love each other the way Christ loved us. And that's huge. Now let's read our last verse for today, verse 33 from Ephesians chapter 5. <coughs> he says, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So what Paul's doing here is he's basically summing up what he's been saying over the past few verses, but he's also tying it to something Jesus said. And if you remember, at one point during Jesus' ministry, he was asked by a religious law expert about what the greatest commandment was. There's a whole lot of Jewish commandments, and someone actually asked him. The purpose was actually to try to trip him up, so it wasn't a genuine question, but they said, well, which, which one's the greatest? Which one's the best? And Jesus uses that as opportunity to put forth a really, really good teaching. It has a lot of applications. It's in Matthew 22, 36 to 39. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So there in verse 39, we see the similarity with what Jesus said and what Paul is tying it to in Ephesians 5.33. Paul's doing is directing men right back to this teaching that sets the bar for how we are to love others. We're to love others the way we would want to be loved. Again, we don't set the bar wherever we want and then expect everybody to adjust to that. We are to love the way we would want to be loved, which is completely, totally, all the way through. And in the end there, in verse 33, Paul finishes with his final statement that the wife must respect her husband. Now, this statement actually gives a window 
into what men need. Men, men do want to be loved. That is absolutely true. But men also do want to be respected. But this refers to their, their position as the spiritual head of the household. And I've said previously, this has nothing to do with requiring family members to be at your beck and call. Simply do whatever you want, behaving like a dictator. That kind of behavior is not worthy of respect. That is not biblical. To have that kind of behavior is not part of God's plan for marriage. A godly Christian man is worthy of respect because they show godly love. They show godly patience and understanding. Godly men understand their role is to lead their family in the direction of Jesus Christ. To learn together, to grow together, the ups and downs, to admit your faults when you can do better. If I can, I'd like to tell you a personal story from my own family. A few years back, I have three kids. Uh, we, we're having uh, dinner, and a lot of times we get in discussions, politics, all, and it, all kinds of stuff. And at one point, one of my kids, this, this topic of submission came up, because my middle daughter, who's very much girl power, right? You know, I love that about her. She heard that, and she's not a good poker player, so I could immediately tell in her face, she was like, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to submit to anybody. Didn't sit well with her. So first off, I just said, let's talk about it. What are your concerns? Let's just get to it, right? Um, and then, after she got done, I said, now let's take it back to me, my role. I said, I don't want you to worry so much about the word submission as you understand it, but let's talk about me first, about what that actually means. And she was all too happy to do that. <laughs> so then I went through how my role as the man of the house is to be the spiritual leader. And if I do a good job, if I truly try to follow Jesus Christ, that would be worthy of being followed to Jesus. I want to understand that they're not following me so much as they're following Jesus Christ. I'm simply a reflection of what he wants from us. Then we talked about how we openly discuss things in church. I want you to have an opinion. I want you to I want to know your thoughts. And when you read something in the Bible you don't understand or don't like, it's okay. God is big enough. He can do that. And then I asked a question. Does it appear that I lead when it comes to faith and spirituality in this house? She says, well, yeah, yeah, I guess you do. Then I said, do I ever force you or your brother or sister, coerce you or try to control you in any way, especially when it comes to faith? And she says, no, absolutely not. And actually, I reminded her of a time about two years earlier. It's probably happened to all my kids, my, but she's the only one that really brought it up. She went through a period when she was about 16. She didn't have faith at all, and that's okay. Each one of us needs to have our own faith and decide what we believe. And you go through a period where you may struggle and question things. And during that time, I told her, my love for her has nothing to do with what she believes. I love her completely. And it's okay if she's going through a period where she doesn't believe. I want her to ask a question. I don't want her to believe or say she believes because her dad's a pastor. That's not faith. That's not true faith. And also, God is big enough for her questions, her fears, her doubts. And whenever she is ready, he is there. But he loves her, and I love her, and that will never, ever change. And then I said, do you feel, because of how I live my faith, my wife, we live our faith in this house, that it has helped you in your faith and helped you learn about Jesus? And she said, yes. I said, that is what submission and following Jesus is about. It's not coercive. It's not about being a dictator. It's simply trying to mirror Jesus. And there's days I do a good job of that. There's days I don't. But it's always maintaining that course. 
And that's what this really comes down to. That's what we're called to do. And that's what's so special about this church. Everything we do here is about making Jesus Christ know. It's about introducing him to new people and people that already know about Jesus, helping them in their faith, admitting none of us are perfect in that uh, realm. So today, if anyone here has not made the choice to follow Jesus, we invite you to do that. There's no test we're not going to ask you, but we want you to, to make that choice. We want you to know him, to have your sins washed away, and to be saved by him. But the only way that can happen is if you make your own choice. You have to make the decision to invite Jesus into your life. So in a minute, what we're going to do is we're going to pray. And during this prayer, if you would like to do that, all you have to do is repeat the words that I say. You can do it quietly. You can just mouth the words, whatever you say. It's between you and God. Again, there's no test. No one's going to ask you. But also in this prayer, we've talked about some heavy-duty stuff today. We're going to pray for all the couples here. We're going to pray that both men and women show the kind of love that Jesus intended for each other and that their love will continue to grow all the days of your lives. So let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. Father, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins, and I believe that you raised him from the dead. And today I ask Jesus to come into my life and to make me new. I ask him to forgive me, to save me, and then to guide my steps for the rest of my life. Father, today we also pray for all the couples here. We pray that their love for each other will continue to grow all the days of their lives. May they show godly love, godly patience and forgiveness and understanding. May each person and the love they show reflect Jesus in their lives and in their relationships. May their children, family members, friends, all who enter their home learn about Jesus and see a reflection of Jesus through their godly marriage. Father, we thank you for the life that you've given each one of us. We are truly blessed, and we thank you for the church. Most of all, though, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we ask all these things. Amen.